Jerry, what country would you think is the front runner for renewable energy tech? USA, USA. Woo! No, 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 no. You're such a fucking dumbass. You're wrong. <laughs> oh, really? Let's find out who. What is happening, you beautiful bastards? One mutant frog dick is enough to power the entire planet for 300,000 years. Powers dildos, extra limbs, and huge dicks. I don't want to fucking know. Imagine the big band. All right, Jerry, so what do we got going on today? Well, today we're talking about energy. And uh, we kind of tossed around the idea a little bit about how we're going to present this. We already know about climate change. So we're actually talking about what we're going to be getting in the future of energy, I guess you could call it that, right? Yeah, both Jerry and I are, are mechanical people, I guess you would say. Yeah. yeah we're, we're, we're pretty deep into the uh, the energy world. We're constantly trying to figure out what new energy is out there, how they're changing things, what they're doing. And hopefully we're, we'll cover a bunch of it today. Hmm. I think we will. And uh, we are going to highlight a few things uh, about what we have now and what it's doing to the planet, but we're not going to beat it to death. No, and, and truth be told, I don't even know why we're recording this episode, because the whole energy crisis or whatever you want to call it has already been solved by Pornhub. Wait a second. What? Pornhub. They figured it all out. I've never heard of this. What are you talking They're about? They're coming out with the wank band. You didn't hear about this? <laughs> no, what is it? The wank band. They're going to attach a like a, a smartwatch to a man's hand as he beats his dick. <laughs> yeah, just collectively? So Gain all power we have to from do, everyone's yeah, all we have to do is attach this thing to like uh, you know ten teenage boys, and we'll power the world. I could see that happening. The world running on furious masturbation. Right now, I'm charging my computer. Uh, for listeners at home, you can't see him, but I can, and it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so, Grizz, let me ask you a question. See, do you do you think the fossil fuel industry is dying? Uh. <clears throat> Are they dying? Yeah, but they're fighting pretty hard. The problem is it, it, it's a limited resource. At some point, we're going to run out. I don't think it's anytime soon. But I, uh, I mean, well, I worked in cars for years, and I always thought that, yeah, all right, we're running out of fossil fuels. But just because you're running out of fossil fuels doesn't mean the combustion engine is going to go away. I don't think that the combustion engine will ever really go away. But as far as mainstream... Yeah, I think that the fossil fuel industry, as we know it now, is on its way out. Oh, yeah. But uh, it's 2021 now, and last century's science fiction is our new reality. That's very true. We have, yes, we have electric cars, solar power, wind power, wave power, gerbil power, and nuclear power. And you forgot jerk power. Uh, also, now we have the power of excessive masturbation. With our powers uh, combined, I've created <laughs> Chester. So I know that uh, the whole idea of nuclear power can be scary for a lot of people, but we're not talking about Chernobyl. We're civilized now, and we're pretty close to uh, a working fusion reactor. And if you don't know what that is, uh, the science community basically considers nuclear fusion reactors to be like the magic bullet for solving our energy problems. I don't really know if that's true, but we're going to talk about what's happening with it and what it means for the people of Earth. And I think you're going to find, Grizz, that by the end of this show, you might agree with my take on this situation. Which is? Thanos was right. There are way too many fucking people. 
Listen, if we're going to get in this debate, why didn't he just snap and make more resources? Maybe he just... Because he's a cold-hearted son of a bitch. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. <laughs> I, I agree with him. Now, sometimes you got to make the tough choices. He did what ha- had to be done. And we've gone over this before. But think about the ramifications of what happened. He brought everybody back five years later. The zoos were already filled back up to capacity. Now, all of a sudden, you got 50% more animals. What, what do you think is going to happen? It's a fucking bloodbath. Listen, it's so flawed. And so many, it goes back to your time travel bullshit, man. All right, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> Let's look at uh, life since the Industrial Revolution, okay? Back to power. Yep, yep. We have almost 8 billion people on the planet now versus the 1.6 billion in around 1900 or so. That's a lot of people to feed, like we pointed out in episode 12, but it's also a lot of people who need energy too. And not just electricity, but we're talking about fuel for transportation, fuel for heating in colder climates, and fuel for cooking. And there's all kinds of ways we use fossil fuels. And at the end of the day, even if you're a climate change denier, the bottom line is fossil fuel resources are limited. We might be able to keep uh, using them for a couple more generations, but they will run out. And we don't want to get caught with our pants down when that happens, because the only thing worse than running out of gas is running out of gas with no pants. Not if you got the jerk band. You're right. Uh, When I was doing my research on this, I didn't realize that we could power with no pants on. So (laughs) problems are all solved. I know you're flawed. It's okay. (laughs) Uh, I guess a lot of people don't care much, though, because if you don't care what you leave for future generations, then no, we don't have an energy crisis on our hands at all. Yeah, most people just, it's not a thought process that enters their mind. When you heat your house or drive your car down the street, you're going, man, I'm fucking up this planet for my kids. No, no. Honestly, sometimes I do now. Really? Sometimes I do that. Why? Because I'm cognizant of the issue. I know what's going on. But when you, we're going to break down some shit for you here. When you're driving your car, you think of how you're destroying the planet? Not every time I drive it, but on occasion, yeah, I do. Because unless your car has something wrong with it, your car is actually producing really nothing that bad. When your car no. is warming up, it's producing carbon monoxide. But yep. once it's warmed up, it's producing CO2 and water vapor. Right. Which is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Now, granted, that's through years and years and years of research and money and expansion, but... Right. Uh, But being uh, older, I guess, senior millennials that we are, uh, you and I were exposed to vehicles from the 70s on a regular basis growing up. Oh, yeah. And I love that smell. But now I have two thoughts that enter my mind when I smell those old cars running. One, (laughs) that smells amazing. (laughs) Yeah, that smells amazing. And two, uh, we're fucked. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the older cars, yeah, they're not putting out anything great. A, they were dialed in by humans. Now it's all dialed in by the Matrix. And the Matrix is one of my favorite things to dial things in with. Uh, But for me personally, I definitely view it as an energy crisis. Because I'll be uploading my consciousness into a synthetic body before I die. And that means what I do now affects my descendants, but it also affects me since I'll be around for at least the next thousand years. (laughs) Well, your conscious will be. You'll be fucking long gone as soon as they fucking jack you in. It's a Jerry analog, so I'll accept it. Um, And the Neuralink is a thing, so if Elon can do it, so can I. Yeah, it's not perfected by any means, but anyways, we're getting off topic. Right, so like I said, we want to focus on the future of energy production and consumption. 
but to really understand where we're going with it, my usual MO is first talk about where we've been. Now, <laughs> shit show! Every fucking minute of it. So it's no secret to anybody, least of all the kind of people who'd listen to this type of podcast, that climate change does exist. And we played a large part in making it happen. So good for us for pulling together and getting things done as a species. It's not something we do very often. But Grizz, as you know, I believe in looking on the bright side of every situation. Of That's course. why I mentioned that. You know, We are destroying the planet, but we're doing it as a team. <laughs> so let's dive right into the situation here. I know on previous episodes, we kind of highlighted how shitty humans are on a large scale. The farming episode showed what happens when things like technology and uh, meeting rising demands go unchecked. And the Rat Dystopia episode was kind of a warning about overcrowding from overpopulation. So in the spirit of sticking with that theme, this is a friendly reminder that we all suck. <laughs> and thanks to climate change, in the words of Quentin Tarantino, The end is near! We are all gonna die! I was just gonna say we all suck again. <laughs> uh, no, no, we're all gonna die, for sure. Okay, guys, listen. Listeners. Fossil fuels. This is some serious shit, and there are some pretty surprising facts we found out. Uh, you and I, Grizz, have been learning about climate change and global warming since Al Gore invented it in 1999. That's very true. Yes. Praise Keanu for sending us that saint, because he also invented the internet. I'm so serial. For you younger listeners who don't get that reference, you can look it up on the Googs. 1999 was an awesome time. So, humans. We started using fossil fuels on a large scale... And around the 1800s, when we figured out coal burns really hot, and it was awesome for putting the choo-choo in our trains. Uh, in fact, there's actually evidence we were using it as far back as ancient Rome and China for things like heating public baths. And the first recorded use was 4,000 years ago in China, when it was used for cooking and heating homes. Then ever since, we've been burning everything we pull out of the ground like it's infinite. Giving us souls cancer all the way. True. Uh, but could you imagine being the first guy who realized that these rocks you found burn way better than wood? Uh, Yeah. <laughs> That aside, Grizz, I might have a different perspective from you, or maybe not, uh, because of my background. But I did HVAC work in various roles from roughly 2003 or 4 through 2017. And for those of you who don't know, HVAC is heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. So I was responsible for making sure uh, large buildings and uh, manufacturing plants were the right temperature all the time. He didn't want people sweating or getting cold. Right. So I've been... On the industry side of fossil fuel, uh, not just on the consumer side. And for me, it always blew my mind to see how much fuel was wasted in the name of saving money somewhere else. Things like a company saying we can't spend the money to replace this incredibly inefficient equipment because it's slightly cheaper to just burn more fuel every year. And yes, that's great for the bottom line, but that's really short-sighted because the long-term cost of the damage it does. So it really costs more in the end. I can see where they're coming from, though. Uh, upgrading infrastructure and equipment is insanely expensive, and I wouldn't want to spend that money either. But if you look at the data, I can promise you, you won't spend too much time. We're not going to spend too much time on this, guys. Uh, we've all heard this before, and as I said at the beginning, we're not going to beat it to death. So right now, the primary energy source for the entire world is fossil fuel, and that covers coal, oil, and natural gas. And the main reason that's a problem is because we know it takes millions of years and millions of dead dinosaurs to regenerate. And unfortunately, Grizz, you probably are aware of this, we're all out of dinosaurs. Uh, I mean, there's some still roaming around. Um, I, this is also why I give vegans shit. Any vegan who ever drives in a car 
motherfucker. You're not going to eat an animal, but you just spontaneously combust that bitch. Listen, morals have limits. So just the fact that we're going to run out, that should be enough of a reason on its own to shift our focus. We literally have no way to replenish the reserves that we're using. They've been preaching that one for a while, though. They have, but they just overlook it. But if that's not enough of a reason, just wait, there's more. <laughs> so about 70, 75% of greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S. come from burning fossil fuels. And that releases 15.1 trillion pounds of greenhouse gases. Ooh, and that's only one country. Just one country out of the entire planet. Yeah, we have too many freaking vehicles and shit. <laughs> for a little perspective on what that number means, the U.S. only accounts for 15% of global greenhouse gas emissions every year. 30% of it is China. Europe contributes 9%. Uh, India is 7%. Russia is only 5%, which surprised me. Japan is 4%. And then the remaining 30% is just everybody else. <laughs> Russia uh, doesn't surprise me. They, they didn't have cars, Jerry, until, what was it, 90, 96 or something? Where, how, how long have Americans had cars? And now Americans, how many cars you got right now, Jerry? Uh, two, but at one time, the most I've had was probably five exactly i have three yeah you know what i mean like it's just it's but we're car people it's a different game Yeah, i know i know people that don't even have a license yeah that's true but guys that's that's a lot of emissions grizz where do you think they all come from what would would your guess be as far as the greenhouse gases yeah what do you think is the biggest contributing sector Ooh. across the globe coal burning well for what purpose, though? What do you think they're using that much uh, fossil fuel for? They're burning it for, for to produce energy, for powering mm-hmm. houses. Yep. That's actually, well, that is the biggest one. It's pretty close to a tie. So just to give you some more numbers on what we're looking at here, coming in at 25% of global emissions, we're looking at burning coal, natural gas, and oil for electricity. Then at 24%, so right behind it, we've got agriculture, forestry, and land use. That might actually be an inaccurate account for that one, though, uh, because 24% listed, that doesn't consider the CO2 that would have been removed from the atmosphere by plant life on deforested lands. So not only does that one contribute, but it's also reducing our capacity to fix it. Yeah, but up until somewhat recently, the agricultural world has not been regulated when it comes to vehicles. <clears throat> no. So I, Jerry's was in HVAC. I was in diesel vehicles. I worked on heavy equipment and whatnot. And one of the things is Caterpillar. Everyone knows Caterpillar. Mm-hmm. Caterpillar got out of the game in 2010, 2011 because of all the, the they got out of the over the road game, like so tractor trailers, things of that name, because the government was putting so much regulations on the over the road trailers that it was impossible for anyone to keep up and still make money. So Caterpillar being Caterpillar said, screw you, we'll just stick with the off road stuff being, you know, tractors and, um, front end loaders and excavators and things like that. And now mm-hmm. they're getting, uh, you know, their own restrictions. Yeah. So it's, it's catching up to everybody really. Uh, so, you know, that was, that's electricity and agriculture. They make up roughly 50% of global emissions, but the next big one is industry and that's 21%. So this might be the murkiest situation because of how varied they, uh, they use their fossil fuels. Uh, so they get used for things like onsite energy, and if they need, you know, that's if they need more, more than the grid gives them. Uh, then they use them for making chemicals, performing metallurgy, which would be things like blacksmithing or large scale die casting and shit like that. Uh, and then they use them for mineral transformation processes. 
So there's all kinds of things that they're mixing it up here that I I don't really know if 21% is accurate. It might be more than that. Yeah, God knows. Then after industry, we have transportation, which only accounts for 14% of emissions. And this one's obvious for most of us because we can see it, especially in a city. You can see traffic that seems to get worse every year. You're stuck in it all the time. You know it's happening. But it also covers things a lot of us don't think about, especially on just a regular consumer scale. The fueling costs of trains, planes, and uh, over-the-road truck shipments and large shipping vessels. That makes up a lot of the use. And then finally, there's buildings. That's only 6% for heating and cooking. And the actual extraction and refining of the fuels themselves is the final 10% of emissions. So like I said at the beginning here, this isn't a climate change episode because we all know what that's about already. I just wanted you guys to have a frame of reference for how much energy we use and who's using it. So Grizz, now that we know a little bit about what we use, how we use it, and what the impacts are, let's talk about the real shit here. Mm. What's happening with emerging energy industries? First, I wanted to hit the basics. Everybody knows about solar, wind and water, but they're kind of in a new league now compared to 20 years ago. Oh God, yeah. You and I are creeping up quickly on becoming old men, so we saw how this stuff started. But they're getting better every year. So, so much actually. Uh, big petroleum companies are starting to pivot into renewable energy instead of fossil fuels. I'm sure you saw that going through 2020. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, they're buying into it because they know that it used to be, <clears throat> it used to be back in the day they'd buy them out because they wanted to hush them up. Because they were making yeah. so much damn money off of that that black gold, uh, but nowadays they're realizing they're not going to get away from that. <laughs> so no, they they have to make the transition, or as we stated earlier, there's not going to be anything left to pull out of the earth anyway. So solar panels they've been around a long time, but they didn't go mainstream until around 2005. You could you could see them uh, like uh, in commercial applications and stuff like that, but they weren't going on anyone, anyone's house. No, not at all. I remember being in high school and making a. a little go-kart that was powered off a solar panel but that was about it yeah yeah because that was that was pretty much where the technology was uh back then they were pretty expensive and not exactly cost effective so only the cool kids had them and by cool kids i mean environmentally conscious rich people uh they were more of a moral choice back then and in the case of these cool kids they were also great for the good old virtue signal uh because really you weren't saving anything back then no well you know what i mean a lot of people aren't now and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later uh, but again, it's 2021. Now normies like us can get a solar panel system to power our whole house. And between leasing options and government subsidies, it, it almost doesn't make sense to not get them if you own your house. But that's enough of my sales pitch. The technology behind these solar panels is what we're all about today. So the technology now, it's going towards smaller, lighter panels that output more energy under the same light exposure as the predecessors. This gave the mad lads over, over in solar R&D the ability to create something called Building Integrated photovoltaics or BIPV for short. And that's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Panels that can blend into the building. They go on the roof, they go on windows, skylights, canopies. And I'm talking about literal fabric canopies. They go go almost on any exterior part of a structure so you can't even tell they're there anymore. Yeah, they're getting pretty they they're making leaps and bounds and I mean, truth be told in general, right now we're living in the third industrial res- revolution. And they're making leaps and bounds in everything when it comes to energy consumption or energy creation, or not creation, but... Have you ever heard of Moore's Law? Yeah, but it's not ringing a bell. So Moore's Law is a technology law. It's kind of outdated now, but I want to say it was from the 60s or 70s. 
this guy Moore, he took note of uh, the advancement of technology. It's basically that technology, generally speaking, it was a little more specific than this, but technology doubles every 18 months. But I think we're reaching a point now where that doesn't hold true anymore because it's so fast you can't keep up with it. Yeah. But I also I, I also just think right now, this day and age, past five years, we stay on top of, of the, the technological side of the world pretty pretty hard. And within the last five years and, and on going forward, I mean, they're coming out with some pretty crazy stuff. They have things right now with the solar panels where literally your window can be a solar panel. So yeah. it's already hooked into your house, powering your house. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, these uh, BIPVs. So for one, a lot of people think they're ugly. Uh, you know, regular solar, solar panels. Yeah, yeah, they're not, they're not good looking. Being men of science, I think you and I probably like the way they look more than most people. But there's a couple other benefits too that we're looking at with uh, solar panels. So we have things like thermal and sound insulation. So it's actually increasing the R value of a building. And then decreased operating maintenance costs related to the actual panels now that they're getting better. Uh, one of the technologies I saw when we were looking into this is Tesla solar roof shingles, which we knew about before. But guys, if you don't know what this is, it just looks like pretty much a lot like a normal asphalt shingle roof. But every inch of your roof is a small solar panel. And it's actually, I think a better way to describe it is it looks somewhere between a metal roof and a regular shingle roof. Have you seen it actually on a building? Uh, not in per, not in like my with my own eyes. I've seen videos of it and pictures of it. But I mean, they're doing like you could tell something's off, but it looks pretty good. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't get it myself because I think Tesla Energy is a pretty flaky company. But the idea itself is pretty badass. Well, anything that Elon owns is uh, questionable. Right. I I totally agree with that. Uh, fantastic ideas, but he's at whether he's the one to uh, kind of come out on top or not. He's pushing the industry, which is what I like to see. Oh, he's he is. He's got his friggin' foot on the floor right now, and he is just cranking it out. The question is, I wouldn't want to own stock in no. Tesla because the dude just does crazy shit. That's too shit. volatile for most people. You know? uh, oh, my God. The actual technology itself of panels, put that to the side, because really technology of panels, the only thing you're looking at is that they're going to get smaller, more integrated, and more efficient. There's really not much to talk about there. Uh, the biggest change we're looking at that really affects the industry of solar panels is how they're being installed and how we're using them. So this one thing in particular, I didn't see any data saying this has happened yet, but someone did the math here and suggested that replacing all the highway noise barriers with solar panels would be uh, a lot of basically free power. Well, did you see what Fran France did? No. They're, they, well, they're starting, but their plan is to replace all their roads or at least their city roads, with solar panels that you can drive on. Oh, yeah, I actually did see that. And they're saying that just, I want to say it was like 400 feet could power uh, an, an average house. Four kilometers could power an entire town. Well, one thing that, I don't know if you came across this, they're when they're putting those solar panels down on the street, they are talking about also integrating them with uh, essentially near-field charging, so that if you have an electric car, it's being powered by the road it's driven on. Like kind of like a slot car. Oh yeah, I mean it's genius. But it, we'll get into some of the battery technologies. I'm wondering how much rechargeable batteries are going to be part of the future. Hundred percent. We'll get into that though. Uh, but I want to get back to these uh, uh, the sound the sound panels the sound the sound barriers that uh, are on the side of the highway. Yep. Listeners, if you don't know what these are, like if you're in a really rural area, when you get closer to um, urban areas, 
highways have a tendency to cut through residential areas because there's really nowhere for them to go otherwise. And it's those big wooden walls that are kind of uh, overlaying each other down a stretch of a residential part of the highway. It's basically just a big ass fence to block noise. Uh, and in the U.S. alone, we have about 3,000 miles of those barriers across 48 states. And the U.S. Department of Energy is actually planning to go with this plan to replace them with solar panels. And the numbers say they're going to generate about 400 gigawatts of power every year. And that can power about 37,000 houses. I would say, we, before we go any deeper, we should probably give people an idea of what the fuck a gigawatt can do. Uh, a gigawatt can get you back to the future in a DeLorean. I thought that was 1.6 something gigawatts. 1.2? You got me on the math. I don't know. <laughs> Let's go into some of the specs here. What do you got? Um, all right. So to give you guys an idea, if you don't own a house or you don't pay a utility bill, I currently live in Rhode Island. Tiny ass fucking state. But the entire state of Rhode Island uses 7.7 .7 terawatts. That's 7,700 gigawatts of electricity over the entire mm -hmm. year. So that's a lot of, those are big numbers, but that gives you a roundabout idea of what a gigawatt is. Right. And you, you guys are a pretty small state. I live in Connecticut. We're not a lot bigger than you, but to give you guys a frame of reference, Grizz, do you remember how much California uses every year? No, I know it's up there. I know Texas is the highest. So California, it uses 259.5 uh, terawatts a year. That's a shit whack ton. Oh, yeah. That's one. So that's one of our biggest states. Just to kind of give you guys an idea of how much power we're talking about here. Before we move on to this other stuff, you know, batteries and whatnot. Another thing I wanted to point out is we, we now have floating solar farms. And the first one was installed in 2008 in California. at uh, in, It was actually in Napa Valley at a winery. Is this floating in the air or in the water? In the water. So, you know, it's, they started in Napa Valley. Fancy panels for fancy bitches. Of course. Uh, it turns out, though, that these floating panel farms are really good for the environment in other ways. It's not, not just because there's no emissions. Mm. Uh, they found that, for one, it increased the power generation by 10% because solar panels work better if they don't get too hot. And the water kept them cool. Interesting. They also slowed down evaporation. And in California, water conservation is a big issue. But basically, if you put a big blanket on, the, on a, a pond or a lake, it's not going to evaporate as fast. It stays cooler. Yeah, it's going to trap the, the vapor back in. Yeah, and it did a couple other things, like it cut down on algae growth and things like that, which in the United States, we've got these new issues with uh, invasive species of algae and uh, like seaweed type stuff growing in, the, in our water. Yeah, that's due to pollution. But the other thing is that people don't realize with solar panels, like when you're driving around, you see them on people's houses, they're fixed. They're in one location. They're looking towards the sun, obviously. They're trying to get as much of the sun rays mm -hmm. as possible, right? They're trying to be efficient. There's actually, I believe it was in the UK, a guy, he designed one that was almost like a, a sun, he designed it after a sunflower. And in the morning, it uses its own power, opens up, and it tracks the sun throughout the day. And it's actually 70% more efficient. Yeah, that makes a big difference. My uncle actually has a big solar panel array at his house. And it's on a huge concrete pedestal, but it rotates and tilts and tracks the sun all day using its own power. It, DC motors use relatively a very small amount of power to move something like this. Well, especially when you're moving that yeah, little. It, I've actually been at his house. You, you hear a little tiny whine. You look over. It was such a small change incrementally. You can't even really tell. Yeah. But speaking of water and these floating farms, that reminds me of two things. One is wind turbine farms. And the other is tidal motion power generation, which I think a lot of people have not even heard of. Mm. Uh, but let's go into the wind turbines a little bit. 
they're not like solar panels. They're everywhere. Yeah, but there's no new material coming down the road to dramatically increase power output or anything crazy like that. That's not true. Well, okay, so there's there's some differences coming down the road, but it's not like they're going to discover some uh, new element that's going to make these ultra-efficient. They're, they're doing it with different designs. Yeah, what they have now is, at least in the U.S., is tried and true and it works and it does what it's supposed to. Now, if we go over to the Japanese, they have different shit. Um, because one of the biggest problems with Japan, especially with places like Okinawa, they get a shit ton of typhoons. They do. And, uh, the, the wind turbines, they don't like the, tur- the typhoons. They go, uh, no worky worky. Uh, they basically just, they, they lay dead on the ground is what they do. Just wanted to point out, uh, since we're on the topic of typhoons, if you've never seen a wind turbine in really high winds when the brakes fail, it doesn't just free spin. It literally violently explodes because it's not designed to go that fast. Yeah, because it's like anything. It's, you know, it it's going to have an imbalance. Yeah, uh, as you were saying, Chris. But yeah, so if you were to have inclement weather like that, we would put the brakes on our wind turbines because we don't want them to overspeed, right? Yeah. Where in Japan, I don't know the gentleman's name, has designed a wind turbine that not only do they not put the brakes on during a typhoon, hurricane, for us Americans... They leave it on because they want all that glorious, glorious energy of that fucking typhoon to the point where they believe. And through his tests, he's seen that if he puts up one in a ty- in a typhoon area like Okinawa that gets hit, I think, somewhere between three to seven times a year. Lived there for a little while and I it gets hit. He, it's enough to power entire towns for years just off of one storm. So they're, they're still working on it, but it's not like it's not the same as, you know, solar is or anything like that. Now, the, the biggest gains with wind turbines, those are coming from improving motor designs and airfoil designs, plus scaling them up or down. But the big thing here, again, is how we've been implementing them and, you know, how we've been installing them, where we're putting them, things like that. And actually, whenever things get through the bureaucracy here in Connecticut, where I'm at, we're supposed to have a, a big-ass wind farm installed right off the coast of Groton in New London. Yeah, they'll find a way to charge you more. <laughs> of course, but they're still working on that. Uh, I haven't seen the data yet on what kind of power output it's going to have, um, but putting it out in the water on a coastline is a pretty solid idea. Boats can still use this space, whereas if you put it inland, it takes up land. Uh, and then there's always coastal wind. It's, it's actually, well, sometimes it's not, but it's very rare that the wind dies down on the coast. Well, they, I believe Rhode Island has one right now. Um, they put it out far enough that, A, it's not going to impact too much of the boating travel, but it also, there is always a wind out there. Yeah. Um, and as far as I can tell, really, the only drawback I've heard about wind turbines is a lot of people hate how they look. I think they look cool as hell, and I don't, I don't think they really take away from most scenery that I've seen them on. I would say me and my family love them, uh, but we're also nerds. <laughs> yeah, well... I think a lot of people our age group and younger are, so it's going to be changing. Now, granted, I don't live on top of one. If I lived on top of one, I probably wouldn't like it. I don't think I'd have a problem with it. But even if you do hate them, it's not like they're going up in national parks or anything. I think some compromise has to happen on this one. That's enough on those. Tidal motion power generation. Uh, you've heard of this one, Grizz. Yes. I'd imagine a lot of a lot of you guys at home probably haven't heard much about what this is. No, Australia's big on this one. And I've actually been loosely following this one for years because I think it's fascinating. But from what I can see, there's two types of generators for this one. The first one just kind of looks like an underwater windmill or a jet engine turbine. And it generates power when the tides go in and out. 
And the second one works more like a toilet bowl float. So it's installed underwater or at the surface. It just kind of bobs up and down with the, the water. And you know, again, at the ocean, on the coastline, the water is constantly going up and down, even when the tide's not going in and out. Uh, this one isn't talked about much, though, but it's actually 80% efficient, which is better than solar and wind. Plus, it's predictable and stable, unlike sun and wind. There's always tide. And uh, also rivers. Rivers don't stop flowing unless something drastic happens. But the major rivers that we're using for this, they don't stop. But the first one that was ever installed was actually in a river. And this was in a place called, I don't know how to speak French or pronounce their words, so I'm going to call it Rance in France. And that was installed in 1966. There's actually eight more tidal power stations running in other countries. So it's, this is not a new idea, just not talked about. Yeah. And considering how long this has been around, it surprised me to find out we don't have a single one of these stations in the U.S. No, and I think it's because they're still testing it. But again, I mean, your average like citizen doesn't give a shit where their energy comes from. Uh, that's kind of That dynamic is changing, though. Yeah, baby boomers, they were raised in a time where it didn't matter. So they don't really think about it. But people like us, well, I think plenty of our of our generation still don't think about where it comes from um, because it's it's not in your face. So it's easy right. to forget. Uh, but, you know, Grizz, those are the basics. We can use wind, water and sun on large scale and really small scale setups. But they only make up a small part of the bigger picture here. The biggest change, I think, is going to come from two things. And that's uh, the wank band. I'll, I'll call it three things now that I learned about the wank band. But the other two are national power generation equal to or greater than what we have now and power storage capabilities. So say that again, national power generation? Yep, national. So, so just, what I was talking about with the wind, water, and uh, solar. Yeah, so you're the, just saying that everywhere, everyone puts in their two cents and has some form of renewable energy. No, uh, so let me back this up. Wind, water, and sun so far are not really being utilized on a national level they're really good for the areas they're in but they're not it's not like someone on the coast in connecticut is going to have wind turbines that sends power to michigan it's not going to happen at least not anytime soon Uh, so when i say national power generation i'm talking about things like the the fossil fuel uh, power stations that we have that produce most of the power Uh, so i think that the biggest changes are going to be coming in how we implement those power stations and what's going to replace the fossil fuel versions of them and how we're going to store power with batteries and things like that. But before we get into the meat and potatoes of power generation, let's fill them in on battery tech. So, Grizz, you did, I think, more research on the batteries than I did. So tell us all about it. What'd you find out? So we all have lithium-ion batteries probably in our pockets currently. Yes, I've seen them explode in videos all the time. (laughs) And there's one of the problems. Um so we've all had batteries for a year. There's all sorts of different types of batteries, but we're at that current age where new battery technology is just on the cusp, just about to break through. On that note, it's never been a better time in history for vibrators and spinning dildos. Yeah. We made milestones in battery tech the last 10 years, just in time for the pandemic lockdown. And now that the now because of that, the sale of batteries and sex toys is through the roof. I mean, you could get your, your wank band... And charge your vibrator at the same Ooh, time. That's a good idea. Be like an ever, uh, you know, just continuous loop of energy. Meet me after the show. We're going to talk business. Have you ever seen the video of the guy who, I think he dropped a piece of toast with uh, butter on it. And it lands butter yes. side down. And he duct tapes it to the back of a cat. Yeah. 
So the cat just keeps spinning fucking continuously to power the <laughs> yeah, world. Yeah, I've seen that one. Imagine. It'd be uh, so well, let's get back on track here. What were you saying? All right. So batteries. Right now, lithium ion powers the world, mm-hmm. right? It powers cars. It powers phones. It powers dildos. Everything. Lithium ion is not um, It's not a very nice uh, commodity to use for several reasons. Um a, lithium ion on its own, when exposed to air, uh, Jerry, as you said, it ignites on fire. Mm-hmm. Also, to to harvest lithium ion, it relies heavily on cobalt, which is mined in the Congo by complete uh, competing rebel militia that use child labor. So that's also a benefit. But morals aside, <laughs> lithium ions at their best right now, let's say a lithium ion in a car battery. Because to me, that's what matters. Your phone battery doesn't it doesn't matter to me. Uh, if you need your phone needs a charge, charge it. <laughs> yeah, that that comes back to power generation. But electric cars and their batteries that's that's what we really need to work on. Exactly, because that's going to show your your real efficiency, right? Lithium ion batteries right now, the like highest efficient efficiency is six hundred watt hours, which is really good for a lithium ion battery. And it, the the very best is 900 watt hours, but no one has those right now. Those are just on the cusp of being figured out. And to give you an idea of where that stands on things, that's 900 watt hours per liter. And then a liter of gasoline is 9,500 mm. watt hours. A little behind. So it's, it's a little behind. So what does that translate to in mileage right now? Well, so that's the thing. So it depends on the car, how much they're putting in the car. But I mean... Right now, you take a Tesla. They're putting lithium-ion batteries in there, and they're doing great things with lithium-ion yeah, batteries. Yeah, they've actually switched to solid-state lithium-ion. Yeah, which what it lithium-ions are really, really heavy. Mm-hmm. So right now, I think a Tesla is getting what three hundred, maybe four hundred well, miles. I actually, I wanted to, to point out because they haven't done anything crazy with the battery tech yet, uh, but they have a new Roadster coming out and that one is looking at about 620 miles which is still pretty damn good i would say they they just had their uh battery battery day like two weeks Uh, ago speaking of that i i didn't realize that this was a thing although i should have because i've gone to many conventions but there's actually a battery technology show every year this uh, one this year is scheduled for april 13th through the 15th in the uk yeah it's not shocking because i'm we're about to get into it Batteries are, are sitting right on the cusp of exploding, not literally. Um, but so lithium ion, we all have them. You know, Teslas right now, they're extremely heavy. You only get, and we'll, right now, the current things on the road are getting somewhere between 300 and 400 miles range on one charge, right? So it's hard for a lot of people to justify buying that if they do a lot of traveling. Well, not only that, there are also, the battery itself is only going to last maybe... Yeah, they're looking at about seven to ten years, and that's going to cost seven grand to replace the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it's the whole, usually the whole bottom of your car. And then on top of that, the disposal of them is just a shit show, right? So lithium ion, they work great for what we want to do, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not a great, great battery, right? It's not the best we can do. There's a lot of other batteries out there. Um, one of them is, that is actually caught Jerry and I's. Uh, eyes and ears last year was aluminum air batteries and when we first ha- heard of this we're like what the fuck some british scientist is smoking some crack it's good crack <laughs> fuck yeah which we've had aluminum air batteries for a long time but some of the problems and i think aluminum air batteries are probably going to be the the 
the bee's knees, they're going to be the answer to all of our issues. This is why earlier when I asked you if rechargeable batteries are going to be the thing, and you said yes, I said no. Hmm. Fill me in. So here's the thing with aluminum air batteries, right? Yeah. We've had them for hundreds of years, but we had a lot of issues with them. One of them was their electrolytes, which for those of you who aren't keen with the batteries, you have a positive and a negative terminal, and with inside you have your cells, but there's also a fluid that runs around the cells, which is called your electrolyte fluid, right? So the electrolyte fluid that was going around the aluminum air batteries was super fucking toxic, right? We're in your car right now. And very corrosive too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which right now, if you went out to your car battery, I guarantee you almost no one does this anymore, but you're supposed to put distilled water in those. So that's, it's distilled water and sulfuric acid, but it's not nearly as bad. Where these na- these new aluminum air batteries, you could drink the electrolyte. I don't want to, but you could. But the crazy thing is, right, so lithium is not an abundant resource, right? It's a pain in the ass. It's expensive well, to Well, I think to that's mine. kind of a misnomer. It's hard to get, but it is abundant. Yeah, but it's not as abundant as aluminum. True. Aluminum's fucking everywhere. It's in your body right now. We figured that out. So with these aluminum ba- air batteries, you can have a battery one-eighth the size of a lithium-ion battery and have the same charge. That's a significant savings so, uh, in weight. That's ridiculous. And not only on top of that, the lithium batteries are heavy as fuck, where aluminum is insanely light. Now, there are some issues with the whole aluminum air battery. I think it would be a fantastic idea. So we'll, we'll use Tesla, yeah, Tesla for right now just because it's easy. Everyone knows what they are. Right now, if you have a Tesla at home, you charge it up, you go, say you want to drive over a couple states, countries, whatever. You drive your 300 miles, and then all of a sudden you got to charge again, right? Now you got to sit there and wait for how long? Even the superchargers are taking hours. Yeah, so if you're going from super low to topping it all the way up, it's. I've seen people actually sitting there charging their Teslas. It takes a couple hours, at least. Oh, it's it's hours. It's I think even with a supercharger, you're still looking at two hours. Yeah, so you better plan on taking a nap in between. Yeah, which, I mean, could be a cool little change in pace for, for people. You know, it's like, oh, I got to refill my cars. Let's go inside and play some cribbage. <laughs> <laughs> the bonding will be amazing. Um, but so with these, with these uh, aluminum air batteries, the problem is when it's discharged, there's no recharging it. The aluminum's gone. Oh, so it's a sacrificial medium in these batteries. You can't, you have to get a new battery every time. Yep, but if it's one-eighth the size, how hard would it be? And a lot of scientists are like, oh, we'll have to have changing stations like to where, you know, a tech comes out and changes it. And like, how hard is it to make something right now that you could just, oh, the size of a, I don't know, a boombox from the fucking 80s yeah. or something. You just slap that bitch in your car. And up, you got another 1,500 miles. And on top of that, you just reduce the weight of the car astronomically. So now the car can go even further on top of that. Yeah, but one thing I don't think you mentioned when you started talking about this air battery, it's not like you're just going to do your 300 miles with this battery. This is a long-range battery. So it's not like you're going to change your battery once a week. No, so the range goes up, right? So It'd be more like an oil change interval. Yeah, it'll be, well... It might not be that much. It'll be 1,500 miles versus the 300 they're getting now. 
Yeah. So 1,500 miles and you're replacing the battery, the battery might, and it, it, then again, also aluminum's cheap. So the cost won't be that bad either. And you don't have to sit around and wait for your fucking car to charge. So that sounds great, but what's going on with all these batteries that you're pulling out of the car? Well, so that's the other thing. Now you can recycle the battery because you're just pulling the aluminum back out of the system, recycling the aluminum and making another battery with it. Hmm. So it's not like you're putting them in a landfill. Yeah, where now the lithium ion's going in a landfill or whatever the hell they're doing because they don't like the maybe they're just lighting them on fire. I don't know. <laughs> but the aluminum, we can recycle it, put it back in. Okay, so it's it's even better than we initially thought. Yeah, and one scientist that I was listening to had a really cool idea. Um, but I still think the the interchangeable battery packs is not a hard thing to teach people. I think most of us monkeys could figure this one out. Mm-hmm. But his idea, or sorry, her idea was you have a lithium-ion battery in your car, and now you have these battery packs, these aluminum battery packs, so you just chink, 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 slap in four or whatever, and it now you extended your range. So now your range went from 300 to 1,000 just with these extenders because what they'll have is those extenders charge your lithium-ion. When they're depleted, you're still running off the lithium-ion, and you can recharge your lithium-ion. To me, I think the interchangeable battery pack is the genius way to go. Yeah, I mean, because especially if you're talking electric cars, the biggest issue with those is the lifespan of the battery. If you're, because right now the lithium batteries in your in your electric car, like a, t- um, a Prius, for example, I know people that have had Priuses where the battery had to be replaced. It's essentially the same thing as replacing the entire frame on your car. Oh, it's a nightmare because you're sitting on top of it. Yeah, it's it's that big. For those of you who drive electric cars and don't realize what you're driving, the yeah, battery you are your driving car, on a massive battery. You're, you're basically driving a battery with wheels. That's why if you've ever seen them get in an accident, the whole car lights on fire. Yes. Uh, so I guess potentially we're we're heading in the direction where if you crash your electric car, it won't burst into flames and kill you. No. And that's also for, I was one of the people who used to work on those cars. When you pop the hood, they have crazy amounts of symbols to stay away from those wires and just shock the shit out of yourself so is there any other kind of uh battery tech coming down the line that we should really be aware of yeah so nothing that had the we're, we're they're still working on battery tech but i thought the aluminum really had the the pizzazz to to take things where they need to go yeah i, I too i think that's got the most promise for us as far as longevity uh recyclability i guess you could say it seems like the best idea. I don't know if anyone has a drone out there right now. If you if you buy a drone, I guess I don't know if it's just DJI that does it. They have like little battery packs that are you know modular, and they just boop, pop it right in, and it's, it's easy. You don't have to do any connections or anything. It's I don't know. Oh it yeah, actually, simple. my son has a cheap a cheaper one. So you have the what Mavic Mini? Yeah. So he has one that's kind of like a I guess probably a Chinese knockoff of it. But that's the same kind of thing. It's a little battery pack that slides out. It's like it's like a big thumb drive, I guess, as far yeah. as the size. And you just plug it in the same way you would charge your cell phone. And you just pop them in. It's modular like that. Yeah. Um, other battery technologies that we have um, right now, currently places like MIT, Stanford are working on nanotech, which is showing great promises. Because what you have right now, take your lithium ions again. Lithium ions, you can get about a thousand recharges on them before you start to have degradation um, below 50%, or sorry, 50 to 70%, right? Where these nanotechs are 
they're seeing that they're doing these recharges with zero deterioration. So as all of us probably know, if you've had your cell phone for a few years, the battery starts just fucking, it's got nothing, nothing left, no juice, right? Your wank band just isn't cutting it. No. (laughs) That's because of oxidation and the deterioration of the battery inside, where with these nanotechs, you wouldn't have that. Now, have you ever heard of graphene? I have. I'm, I'm not too familiar with the details on it, but I do know what graphene is, yeah. So graphene, I want to say it was 2002, took the world by storm because it was known as this amazing material, right? Yeah. It was stronger than steel for its weight and, and size. and It was the best conductor they've ever seen. That was almost 20 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Do you know how they, how they figured out and made graphene, Jerry? I do not. You think it would be some crazy fucking lab, right? Well, for such revolutionary uh, discovery, I would guess so, yeah. Yep. Nope. They had some graphite and some scotch tape. What? <laughs> they took scotch tape and they laid it down on top of the graphite and then they pulled up the scotch tape. Now they have a layer of graphene. I feel like this was discovered by someone fucking around because they were bored. I feel like this was discovered by a pothead who really liked electricity. <laughs> they just, you know what I mean? Yeah. And if you see the picture of the good dude, you're going to be like, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so anyways, graphene, right? It is graphite. It has a very unique cellular structure to where it almost is like a honeycomb. Right. It is one molecule thick, right? So it's one molecule laid on, down on a sheet of graphene. And it is, it's incredibly strong, which you're sitting there trying to, quantum like how the hell could it be strong it's fucking graphite we've all had it in our pencils for years it grinds away we break it in half like doesn't make any sense yeah it seems incredibly fragile but it all comes down to the the structure that they they're keeping it in right and it, it it's a hard process to put it like this but anyways graphene is a amazing conductor we've figured out so it's been 20 years almost and we really haven't done too much with it but they're just starting now to to work out the kinks and figure out what they can do with it. Because when you're first producing graphene, I know it's they're not just using the scotch tape and pulling it off a shit ton of times. Uh, it can be a little pricey in the beginning to produce. So the initial overhead is kind of holding it up? Yeah. But we're now starting to see where they're actually producing the graphene. And they're using them in things like your uh, solar panels that we were talking about. And they're putting a layer of graphene on top of the solar panels, and it's actually making it so when it rains and solar panels aren't doing diddly squat shit because there's no sun getting to them and they're covered in water, they're actually absorbing the charge from the rain through the graphene. Amazing advancements, yeah. Like, we're, we're living in an age where if you're a technological person, every day you're just sitting there going, what? That's fucking crazy. Yeah, you can eat up a lot of time on the internet if you're into this shit, just reading about everything that's happening oh, every day. Oh, and guys at home, Chris, I just want to interrupt you for a second. I just want to point out, uh, you guys, that we're everything we're talking about, yeah, we're talking about the shit that's been getting developed for the last 20 years, and obviously we haven't seen any of it. But one thing that we found out when we were looking into all this is it's kind of looking like the 30s is going to be the peak decade for when this stuff really hits the market in a usable way. Well, I also think some of the stuff you're going to start seeing because of Right, uh, the past five years, countries like Germany, uh, different states, 
I know there's a couple other countries in there um, that I'm probably not helping out, but they're are they're basically giving a deadline to everyone and saying, "Hey, 2025, we're yeah. going fully electric." Yep. Or, or 2025, we're not using fossil fuels, whatever it may be, right? So, will people hit that deadline? Uh, no, I doubt it. No, probably not. But I think you're gonna see a lot of shit probably around that time. Because California said, what, 2035? Yeah, they want to have uh, all electric everything that they can do. So while, yeah, it's definitely not an attainable goal to say 2025. But what it does is it sets a precedent where they have to speed up their timelines on everything and all this technology and its development. So maybe it won't hit 2025, but 2035, that's pretty reasonable. And the other thing is, I can speak more for myself. Jerry's pretty much the same. Both of us really like cars. I I was fixing cars for a career for a long time. Jerry always enjoyed tinkering with cars. When you start have guys like us come into the plate being like, you know, I would think about getting an electric car. That's when you start getting the change, right? If you looked at me five, ten years ago, I would have told you you're an idiot because we the technology wasn't there, right? You weren't getting a good charge. You weren't getting good um, distance on cars. And, you know, most people who buy electric cars these days or those days were, were buying them for the, the morality of it, right? They didn't, they didn't want to fuck up their earth. Those are the days of the hybrid Prius where, you know, you think electric cars, you think uh, a granola driving a, a Prius. What now, the way it is, it's really, it's become something that people want, like on a mass level. So you look at things like a Tesla and people want the Tesla. I think of a, when I think of a Prius, I think of San Franciscoans uh, smelling their own farts, but... It's the most smug place on earth. The, so back then, and even now, if you're buying a car or you're, you're, whatever you're doing where you're like, you know what, I'm doing this for the environment, do your research. Yeah. Because Absolutely. just because you're buying, a, say you buy a Tesla, right? That's 100% electric. You got to plug it in to fucking charge it. What's your power grid, people? If you're powering off a of coal, you are doing more damage then you are good. And that actually brings us right into our next uh, topic here, which is power generation, which was uh, one of the number one things that I said we really needed to focus on as a global species. So Grizz, I know you did some research on this, but my favorite new technology right now is nuclear fusion. And as I mentioned earlier, the word nuclear gets a bad rep these days because of things like Chernobyl, Three Mile Island, Fukushima, and frogs growing extra limbs and huge dicks. But it's really not even in the same ballpark as traditional nuclear power. It's Yeah, it's nuclear, so I guess it kind of is, but it's not the same thing at all. Problem is, and my wife's a perfect candidate for this story, she is scared shitless of nuclear energy. Exactly. It's a lack of information at the end of the but day. But when it comes down to it, well, there's some issues with nuclear. I'm not going to deny that. No. But when it comes down to it, it's every problem we've had from nuclear energy, Three Mile Island, Chernobyl or Fukushima, has really been a human issue. Yeah. Right? It's an error in judgment, essentially, where they waited too long or something like that. Well, Fukushima was... We couldn't predict that they were going to get a a tsunami to hit and get completely jacked up. Now... Well, technically, you kind of can say you could have predicted it. It's Japan. They're going to get a tsunami. Oh, yeah. Um, Now, Chernobyl, to me, that was a complete 100% human error. Absolutely. We'll, we'll go into a detail on that on an episode at some point. But Jerry and I have both worked in the nuclear world. And I think the nuclear world's flaw is also its greatest strength. 
And their greatest strength is they are held. If the paper says do A, they're doing A. But the, my, my problem with that is they're also not thinking. They're just doing. And when you keep people in that kind of realm, they kind of, the majority of them become monkeys. They're just memorizing it. They're very smart monkeys, but it kind of takes away their ability for critical thinking on a large scale because if they're not following a procedure, they're not going to do anything. They cannot deviate. Jerry and I both know nuclear operators and that are really good guys, really intelligent, and can think on their feet. We also know a lot of others that monkey see button, monkey push button. Mm-hmm. And that's all they do. We'd be better off to give them the wank band. <laughs> They're perfect candidates for that. Uh, so let's let's dive into this sub, uh, subject a little bit. Uh, listeners, I'm sure some of you are not aware of this, but the nuclear that we know and love is called fission. Uh, and fission reactions happen when you split atoms. You basically tear them apart. The way that happens in power generation is a little more controlled than nuclear bomb. So most of the nuclear plants on Earth use uranium. They, what they do is they take a neutron and they slam it into a uranium atom, and that splits the uranium apart. Now, the action of splitting a uranium atom releases a shit ton of heat and radiation. The heat part is what we uh, use for power. The radiation is the sketchy byproduct that we need to mitigate during and after. And, you know, that's the issues we ran into with uh, the nuclear disasters we've had here on Earth throughout the years. That's where we get the so-called nuclear waste that we can't get rid of so we store it in a mountain somewhere out west and hope nothing bad happens. It's out west. We're on the east coast. Yeah, that's the most 1950s solution I have ever heard. <laughs> it Basically, this is how it happened. Right, Chris? We, uh, we, we dig up the hole. We bury it. Uh, Charles, Charles, uh, I found a way to power the country, but it creates a highly toxic byproduct that we can't get rid of. If you touch it, your face melts off and uh, you turn inside out. What should we do? Uh, well, James, like any good American... I say we bury it out back and hope for the best. That's pretty much how it went down. Problem solved. That's literally what they did. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, of course. I don't know how the conversation went, but that's the, that's the direction we went with. It's literally buried and we're hoping for the best. We know how it went in Russia. Hey, we throw it in a big dump over here. It's fine. <laughs> so really, that's what we've been doing with it ever since. And that's the biggest issue we have right now with our current nuclear. And I can understand not wanting to do that. Uh, but nuclear fusion is literally the opposite of fission. We're not splitting anything. So let, let me break down nuclear fusion for you, Grizz, and you people at home. Should we break down fission first? Nah, we kind of know what that is already. I, I gave him a, a rudimentary understanding. You're splitting a uranium atom. All right, fine. So nuclear fusion. It's a process by which one or more light nuclei fuse together to generate a relatively heavier nucleus in which there is some mass deficiency that is released as energy and quantity. And fuck this. Grizz, I'm, I can see you're falling asleep already. My brain hurts. <laughs> so I'll break it down easy for you. Nuclear fission is combining atoms instead of ripping them apart. And it works the same way the sun does. Which, if you've never been to the sun, which I have not, this is how it works. Stars, which our sun is a star, they're giant balls of hydrogen for the most part. There's a few other things in there, but generally speaking, hydrogen is what they run on. And when you put hydrogen atoms in a space stuffed with other hydrogen atoms, and then press them together, they start to fuse and create helium. And that fusion action releases energy in the form of heat and light. Now, the problem is it needs to happen in a setting that's heated up to 100 million degrees. And that's kind of the tipping point where that that reaction starts. 
But once you hit that threshold, all you have to do is monitor and keep feeding it hydrogen. The reaction itself becomes self-sustaining as long as it has fuel. Now, China did this last year, didn't they? It's not just China. It's been happening since roughly the 80s. Yeah, but I mean, China has a sustainable one that they're using for power. Mm, I wouldn't call it sustainable yet. So there are, I don't remember the exact number. I want to say... This is also the uh, what they did in Spider-Man 2, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I want to say I want to say there's like eight or so of these fusion reactors on Earth right now, mm. and they get they can get them up and running for I think it's milliseconds right now. Uh, and actually, what you're talking about in China, there's a an article that we read, and I dug it up for this episode. It came out on December fourth of last year in the Popular Mechanics um, magazine website, and it was titled "China Just Turned On Its Artificial Sun." And so yeah, they do have what is technically a working reactor. Uh, but in order to get there, it has to reach 100 million degrees, which sounds impossible. Right, Chris? I, I don't know many things that could withstand this temperature. That's because nothing can. Oh. Uh, but that being said, it's not impossible. Uh, scientists working on this stuff hit that temperature all the time. That's how they get these uh, really short bursts of this reactor working. But so it's not really feasible then yet. Well, we'll get to that. We don't. The issue is we don't have a way to reliably control that heat and contain it. And that's a major issue being worked through right now. But let's get into the fusion benefits before we get into that. So fusion, as opposed to fission, which is what we use now, the nuclear waste is relatively short-lived in comparison. The materials can be actually recycled and reused in a 100-year window. So right now what we have, the waste is basically forever on a human timeline. It's like 24,000 years. That's a, and that, that's a half-life. Yes. So if you have a pound of it in 24,000 years, you'll have half a pound. <laughs> yeah. So now you can see kind of the benefit of fusion where we're looking at a 100-year time frame where we can actually recycle and reuse that material again for the same thing. So that's not even a half-life. That's fully recyclable. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, we're going to still store it in a mountain somewhere, but it's, it's not essentially infinite for our human timeline. We're going to use it again. It's going to be getting cycled out. Uh, but another thing that is a benefit to fusion is it can't melt down like Chernobyl and Fukushima did and Three Mile Island. Well, yeah, it's already at a million fucking degrees. Right. But the way Where that it works. Where it go from there? <laughs> uh, yeah, 100 million degrees. We've we've hit temperatures of like 350 million in these before uh, for fractions of a second. But the reaction has to be maintained while it's happening. And that's kind of how it works. So if something happens, like the Pacific Ocean dumps into your facility... The reaction cools down and stops in seconds. It doesn't run out of control. And Chernobyl, as we'll find out in a later episode when we cover it, it's a perfect example of our current nuclear technology not stopping at all. In Chernobyl, the gas pedal got stuck to the floor with absolutely no way to shut the engine off. So that went out of control. That's not going to happen with fusion. No. But a lot of the fusion reactions being refined do involve lithium-based reactions, which we were talking about earlier, for batteries. Um... Uh, and yeah, lithium's hard to get, but we actually have enough lithium on Earth to power fusion reactors for millions of years without depleting our stores. The issue is getting it. Well, it's also having a sustainable fusion reaction. Right, which I'll, I'll tell you how that works in a few minutes here. Uh, going over some, some more of these data points, a fusion reaction, it produces four times as much energy versus a fission reaction of an equal mass. So you take the same amount of fission fuel and the same amount of fusion fuel, you're getting four times the energy. 
Uh, and there are two major fusion reactors in testing and development right now. One is the one we talked about in China, where they turned on their artificial sun, because that's pretty much what it is. Uh, and the other one is a five-year construction plan that started in France last year. So they actually have a timeline of 2025, and they're going to have this up and running. But both of them, uh, in France and in China, they're only a proof of concept. So in 2025, when they're up and running, they're not going to be generating power. They have a, a, a long-term timeline for the 30s. But how this works is they, they essentially have what looks like a, a big cylinder, pretty much. Uh, it's thick metal, obviously, well insulated. But the 100 million degree uh, fusion that's happening, it's not touching anything. It's being held in place by massive, massive superconductor magnets. And what that does is it stabilizes it. Because when you hit, when you heat up any material to that temperature, it doesn't burn. It converts to plasma. Yeah, it just vaporizes. <laughs> yeah, it's literally vaporized material. So what, what these magnets do is they're in on all sides, and they're essentially levitating it inside of the uh, reactor chamber. So it's not touching anything. And to give you an idea of how strong these magnets are, just one. So I, I don't know how many magnets are in it. I looked at a picture. It's countless. It's fucking huge. And there's countless numbers of these magnets. But they're so powerful that just one has enough force to pick up an aircraft carrier. Damn. Or a giant mutant nuclear frog dick. Imagine the wank band. <laughs> one mutant frog dick is enough to power the entire planet for 300,000 years. See? Problem solved. <laughs> End of episode. <laughs> but yeah, just to give you an idea of the massive amount of force that they're using and controlling right now, that's that's one magnet, and they have an entire cylinder lined with them to keep that much force in. Well, so that's my thing. Do we know what this force could do? You know what I mean? Like, do we have any idea of where this will go? Well, we'll one day we'll be like, yep, China used to be over there, but they turned on their sun. <laughs> well, that's where... That's where the fusion's uh, stable reactions come into play. If it doesn't have hydrogen and it doesn't have a way to maintain, it falls apart. So let's say you turn on your fusion reactor and it's running for, which is right now an absurd amount of time. Let's say it's running for 10 minutes. You hit that 10 minute mark and your magnets fail. Now your reaction, which is stable and being contained in one spot, kind of dumps out. Yeah, it's going to hit the wall. It's probably going to melt a hole in it. But it's a matter of seconds before that reaction completely stops and starts to cool down. Ten minutes and you just lost your entire fucking power facility. Yes, exactly right. But I don't really know what their mitigation plans are going to be going forward. I mean, right now they're still trying to stabilize the reaction. But what really matters is the fact that we can actually create that reaction. Yeah, no, I think it's fascinating. I think, you know, it'll be something. To me, that seems like you. it might be something for... Maybe powering a vehicle or space travel or something, you know? I don't want to ride on a 100 million degree bomb. Fine. <laughs> uh, but that's pretty much fusion in a nutshell. And I think the things I highlighted kind of really speak to why I like it so much. Uh, but Grizz, I think you found something kind of weird that I wasn't aware of when you were doing your research as far as mass production of power. Yeah, I, we should also say that Jerry and I both are in support of nuclear power. It really is the cleanest way we have. It's just a question of, you know, how do you get rid of the waste? Yeah, speaking right? of which, I just wanted to point out that uh, nuclear fusion power is zero emission. Yeah, literally. Yeah, it's 100% zero. You're not getting anything bad out of it, with the exception of the waste that can be recycled. Uh, but Grizz, go on. 
So, have you ever heard of a salt reactor, molten sock, salt reactor, Jerry? Uh, did you say molten sock? Because I think that goes back to the wank band. <laughs> That's not molten. That's liquid. <laughs> uh, no, molten uh, no. salt. Molten salt, no, I've never heard of that. So, depending on where you're in the countries, you might have heard of these things, and they're called thorium reactors. They work very similar to current fission reactors. Um, and that theory is uh, the reactor itself heats up steam. The steam then powers up a turbine. Turbine turns generator. Generator makes electricity. Or as we like to say, hot rock makes steam. Steam go round and round. But so thorium reactors, right? So very similar to current fission nuclear reactors. Right now, the fuel rods are embedded with the, with your uranium-235, right? And they... they keep the fuel rods up and down and wherever they want to for the reaction, to control the reaction. Then when they lower them down in to the reactor, it has water around it. Well, in thorium reactors, it's a little bit different, right? Instead of fuel rods, fuel is embedded in liquid salt. And salt is literally the most stable chemical substance we have, right? So if you take sodium on its own, sodium bad, it's, it's volatile, it's explosive, Chlorides, very bad. But if you have sodium chloride, very stable. It's also delicious. But so what they do is they take the fuel and they actually impregnate the liquid salt or the molten salt. And now you have rods as your mediator for the reactor. And because of that way that it works, the reactor is a shit ton more uh, efficient than a just regular fission reactor, right? One ton of thorium can put out power that is equal to 35 tons of uranium. So that's pretty significant. Yeah, that's that's even better, uh, an even better conversion than fusion. Yeah, but there's also issues here. Now, the other thing with the thorium reactors is it's a lot safer than what we have today, right? So right now, your reactor's going, you have critical mass... It's chugging along. It's hot as fuck. And actually, thorium can run hotter than what we're running nowadays. I don't know. The temperatures, I'm sure it's super secret. I'll see if I can dig it up while you're talking about it. The great thing is they have these things. They have things in place where they can literally just ditch all of the fuel out of the reactor to where it's no longer reacting underneath. If you have a runaway, it just has a freeze plug that it melts because it got too hot in the reactor. And it just boop dumps into a lower cavity and it just sits there and doesn't do anything anymore. But the other thing with thorium reactors is they can actually make their own fuel, which how that works is a little beyond me. <laughs> it sounds like magic. Yeah, it sounds perfect. But there's actually some some really big issues with thorium reactors, right? Uh, Jerry's, what does salt do to things? Uh, dries it out, burns it. <laughs> also, uh, it uh, increases corrosion tenfold. Oh, yeah. You know, I didn't even think of that aspect of it. Yeah, it rots things out. Yeah, so right now, one of their hugest hurdles to come over is the problem is this molten salt would literally just fucking eat away whatever it touches. So this, like Jerry's uh, fusion reactors, isn't a reality yet. We've done it before, and we know it's a thing. The other thing is with a regular fission reactor, you have byproducts. Like if you've ever used gun sights that glow in the dark, that's from tritium, which is a byproduct of nuclear reaction. 
It's a react. It is literally radioactive. That's why it's glowing. But it doesn't put off radiation, so it's not a danger to you and I. Does it put off anything that can kind of be like you know compared to radiation? Well, when I say it doesn't put off radiation, I'm talking about the tritium. The actual thorium reaction still has radiation, but okay. its its half life is cut down to hundreds of years versus thousands of years. Right. That's so better. it's the the nuclear waste that you're going to have after a thorium reactor is much less. But you can actually, like I said before, and I'm no chemist, but at some point they've actually have it to where it's producing its own fuel, which to me isn't crazy. You also don't have the problem right now. If you have a nuclear reactor and all your fuel is spent, it's pretty expensive and you have a lot of downtime to replace that fuel. Where with these, you can constantly just top it off if it's not already creating its own. Uh, Grizz, I, I did some searching here while you were talking about that. The closest thing I can find that really kind of gives us an idea of how hot a traditional reactor is, I'm looking at the, uh, the temperature of the fuel rods. It increases and deforms and in the case of what they call a zircaloy cladding, it does that around 900 degrees Celsius. And if you're uh, a shitty American who doesn't use Celsius, that's uh, just short of 1,700 degrees Fahrenheit. It's uh, really fucking hot. We should have known this from K19. Their red, uh, their red band was 800. Oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, but yeah, to, so that kind of puts it in perspective for you. I mean, for fusion, we're looking at 100 million degrees. And for uh, your thorium reactor... It's what would you say it was for a temperature? Yeah, it, I didn't have one. It's Maybe hotter just, than a regular fission reactor. Okay, so we're looking at more than seventeen hundred degrees. Either way, we're going we're going hotter than what we have now. So that's that. It's actually better for us because the more heat you have, the easier it is to drive these turbines. What's well, that? Yeah, the more heat you have, the more efficient it is. Yeah. So thorium sounds like it's a you know the end all be all, and it's a great thing, but it has its issues just like Jerry's fusion reaction where we haven't perfected it yet so we may be 10 15 years off from that as well but what really excites me is that all this grizz is in our timeline oh yeah i know that i've talked to you about it before but i have a real boner for the 50s the racism aside uh the 40s and 50s because that was when things were coming out with things like the world's fair and you had these futuristic technologies which i've mentioned in previous episodes the difference now is we're actually living it it's not it's not at some fancy trade show where a uh, hundred years from now, this is what we're doing, guys. No, this is like 15 years from now. And now that I'm in my 30s, I realize 15 years is absolutely nothing. Well, you're you're literally living in the third industrial revolution. Right. Like, which I didn't even think of until someone brought it up. Like, you absolutely are. But the thing about this revolution, I don't think this one has an end. Like, the last one's leveled out. We had some quiet periods. This one, I don't think it's going to do that. I, it all depends. I mean, to me, when I was a kid, I didn't want to learn shit. You know, I, the way we do schools doesn't really work perfect. Uh, you know, I'm also a weird duck. Well, the way we do schools is the same way we've been doing it for a thousand years. So I, it's probably time for an upgrade. Yeah, it's a little flawed. But to me, if you're, if you're putting the money into science and education, how can you go wrong there? Absolutely. But Grizz, what, uh, what do you think are the most important things you want uh, listeners to take away from this episode? One, that we've solved the energy crisis with 10 teenage boys. That's it. It was under our noses the whole time. Yep. All right. See you guys later. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> Two, I think what I wanted to point out was that, that we have the technology to do this now to start making really big changes with wind, water, and air. 
So we should we should really start focusing on how we do that. What else do you think, Chris? Don't be a dumbass if you're buying a car or doing anything else energy related. Do your homework. You know what I mean? If you're trying to be, you know, saving the environment or good towards the environment. Make sure you actually are. Yeah. Because one thing I found out in this. So say if you are one of those people who's scared shitless about nuclear energy. I can understand that. Uh, you know, I don't want to fucking melt to death. <laughs> but uh, Jerry and I have worked around stuff and I'm not worried about it because of the the safety precautions they take. But one thing I learned in this is that the radiation that's put out by a coal burning plant is just as bad as the radiation. Like you have a constant radiation coming from a coal burning plant in the air where a nuclear plant, you're only going to have it if something catastrophic fails, which only happens every so often. And on that note, actually, another another thing I'd like you guys to take away don't be afraid of nuclear power, especially when they switch to fusion, because that's coming down the line. Uh, fission, I don't think, is a long-term sustainable option, and I don't think they're going to keep using it. So do some homework. Check it out. See what you think about fusion. Don't use it, though, if China disappears from its sun. Okay? <laughs> that's pretty much the gist of what we want you guys to take away. And uh, Grizz, Grizz, do you hear that? What's that noise? It's very odd. <laughs> oh, it's it's beyond bastards. This is as far as we can go on foot. It's time to buckle up because we're going beyond bastards. Jerry, what do we got going on uh, beyond bastards this week? Uh, it's actually not that much this week. Uh, last week we didn't even need to do one, but uh, our last episode was all about the Rohingya in Myanmar. And ironically enough, this was totally unexpected because we we didn't really we don't follow it, so to speak. Uh, but the day that we released that episode, which was this past Monday, Myanmar experienced a coup. Craziest shit. Yeah, that, that was just some of the strangest timing. So if you don't know what's going on, if you didn't listen to the last episode, the Rohingya are a people that are being persecuted in Myanmar. And they've had a lot of issues with the military kind of running amok, doing whatever the fuck they want, killing people. You know, you know how it is. Throwing babies in rivers and fires and stuff. And they're... Uh, I don't remember what the terminology was, but their de facto president. Uh, she has spent, I don't know, maybe 25 years under house arrest while she's running the country. Yeah, she was from uh, 1980 to like 2010, 2011. Yeah, so she she ended up released and she's been on the world stage uh, doing what she can with Myanmar and the situation over there. Kind of. Kind of. Uh, she, As you discovered in the last episode, she's got her hands tied on a lot of things. But what happened on Monday, the, the Myanmar military, they rolled up and uh, behind someone doing their, their yoga or Pilates or whatever it was. Yeah, I didn't understand that. They staged a coup. They took over. Now, uh, I cannot remember her name because I'm really bad with uh, uh, Asian names. Well, uh, Burmese names are really hard to say anyways. Uh, blood will probably crucify us. I do know her last name is, it's not last name. The last part of her name is Chi. So I'm going to call her Chi. So. She is now back under some form of house arrest. She's in custody, essentially. And Myanmar is in absolute fucking turmoil. A shit show right now. Yep. Government takeover again. Or sorry, government military. Uh, I'm going to say her name is Aung San Suu Kyi. You said Chi? So Aung San Suu Kyi. So Aung San Suu Kyi is... She's in the, she's in the shit again. That's something that we're going to be following going forward because I'm really interested to see how this plays out. That was the major thing I wanted to bring up with you guys. Now, 
Do you know that's the second time we've done that, Jerry? What? So Monday we released the episode and Ansen Suchi gets literally arrested and put in an open air prison. But also when we did the whistleblower episode, the day we released it was the day that... Uh, Julian Assange, right? Yes, exactly. It was decided that he wasn't going to be extradited. Oh, shit. Maybe we're the reason. Yeah. Fuck, that's it. Show's over. Don't even tune in next week. We have to be really selective what we're talking about from now on. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we're, as I said, we're going to follow that and keep updating you guys to see what happens because if you care about human rights like we do, last episode, that's a major problem. And now that the military who's responsible for a lot of it is in power again, that could really change the dynamic over there. Well, yeah, if you listen to that episode, we didn't know what the the solution was there, uh, you know, because you, you don't want to just storm in there with the military. But now, I mean, that happens and Biden, uh, President Biden's response was literally... Uh, we're concerned. And if history repeats itself, Biden historically is a warmonger. So we might be heading over there. Yeah, I mean, I would. here's my thing. I was in the military. And I think for since Korea, we haven't had a reason to go to war that was worth a damn. Um, that would probably be a reason to actually go to war. So we'll keep you guys updated on that. And uh, the other subject, which fascinates me, and I know that, Grizz, you're all excited about this as well. GameStop. Mm, Jazz. Reddit. Still holding to the fucking moon with these diamond hands, baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested to see where it goes. You know what's really interesting to me is this is not the first time it's happened. What's really changed is it's the first time retail investors did it to somebody else. Because uh, hedge funds do it to each other when they see the opportunity. Uh, Volkswagen had this issue. I think it was in 2008 or nine. Uh, that, 2008, yeah. Yeah, they were the big squeeze. And a hedge fund did it to another hedge fund, but we barely heard about it. Now, yeah, I've even heard companies say that they, when it comes to the shorting, there are times when they want people to short them, but that's when they know there's an out for them. They know they're going to be out, come out the other side. When you're down and out and about to get fucked like GameStop was, like GameStop's not going anywhere. You know what I mean? Or, uh, not correction. now. <laughs> correction. GameStop's not going to become something new and beyond, right? They didn't have anything new they were bringing to the table. Literally a dying breed. So they were being bet on to fail, and they were going to fail, but a shit ton of people said, no, we're not going to play this game. Yeah, and uh, I think, do you have uh, GameStop? You hold stock? Yeah, I have one share. I tried to get it uh, when this first happened and blew up, and that was when uh, Robinhood shut everybody down, which they're going to be getting investigated for. Uh, so as an alternative, I bought AMC, and as you know, Grizz, I'm a big fan of the film industry and movies, and I didn't want to see AMC die, which is part of the reason why I bought, and I'm still holding, to the fucking moon. Well, so did you see what happened with AMC? No, I haven't followed it in the last couple of days. So, uh, for people like you and Josh and people out there who love the theater, this whole thing pretty much saved AMC. AMC was going to crumble. They were, they were done. They used their profits from it to pay off their debt. Yeah, so it literally did what it was intended to do. It fucked Melvin Capital, and it saved the industry, really. Which, because, I mean, I'm not ahead. a big movie buff, but I think that's that's a win. Absolutely. Uh, you know, movies are iconically American. If you don't have a movie theater in America, it's going to really change the dynamic of the industry. And I think that we need movie theaters. Yeah, and the movie theaters, they're not doing great, but if you didn't have the pandemic, they'd be doing it okay yeah they were they were not really in danger before the pandemic of going away anytime soon i guess eventually however many years down the road that might happen uh but now is not the time and it's not the place 
And I did my part to make sure that AMC will still be there when the pandemic is over because I want to go to the fucking <laughs> movies. Congratulations, Jerry. You want a cookie? <laughs> no, I want a fucking movie. <laughs> no, I want a goddamn bucket of popcorn. I want to see Keanu on the big screen. All right, Grizz. Uh, that was a pretty good episode. What are we talking about next week? Changing it up a little bit. Today was, you know, is pretty uh, science heavy. Next week, we're going a little uh, little in the opposite direction with the Salem Witch Trials. Ooh, spoopy. No science <laughs> at all. That's going to be a good one, guys. So tune in for that one. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out at Facebook at Beautiful Bee Podcasts. Our website at BeautifulBastardsPodcast.com. Our Twitter handle, Jerry. At PodBastards. At PodBastards on Twitter. Let us know what you're doing. Let us know if you want us to cover something because we're game. We'll check it all out. Now, before we sign off, I just wanted to point out, uh, we kind of want to operate a little bit different than most podcasts. Yeah, Grizz and I talk to each other a lot. It's our job now. Uh, But we also want you guys to be part of the conversation too. So if you have something to say, you hear something, you think we're wrong, you think we're right, whatever it is. If you want to communicate with us something about the show or the topic or an upcoming topic, you can contact us on the website on Twitter, on Facebook, however you want to get a hold of us. Uh, We want to hear from you guys. And you can check us out anywhere that you consume your podcast. But specifically for us, Apple Podcasts is important because they have a rating system, and that's what gets us spread to other people. So go ahead and give us a rating. Tune in next week. But until then, see you guys on the next one. I am serious. Don't call me sure. Jesus, shut up. (laughs) 